arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Well, here we are at the end of the book. The pace of the book will pick up rather extraordinarily. I want to thank you in advance for listening to The Kennedy Paradox. Appreciate it. Now we're going to head back to Santa Clara, Cuba, May 2nd, 1961. It's no surprise that Patch is going after this guy. I will say that certain timelines have been forever changed. This is Robert P. Fitton, heading back to Cuba. Chapter 38. Agua del Pueblo, Santa Clara, Cuba, Tuesday, May 2nd, 1961, 2.35 p.m. The walls stretched southeast along the reservoir. A second area west of the cabins led to a simple dirt road to the north and a shorter secondary road. Through the binoculars, he observed a sloping dam with arching water culverts at the far end. I don't see anyone, Ray. He must be in the cabins. Makowitz panned the smooth blue lake. I don't see anyone either. Question on my mind, Ray, whether that plane left for Cairo. I'm going to assume the soldiers will arrive here. We need to stay in the background. Agreed. Patch slowly moved the binoculars along the shore. Foliage rimmed dozens of squiggly inlets. Half a dozen Venus streams fed the deep water. The concrete dam at the end of the spillway road directed the water through huge runoffs. If he were out there fishing, we could just wait and line up the shot. Patch, I'm going to take a position atop the hill behind us. That will allow me to see the whole area. The other side of the road doesn't rise as high, but it's closer to the reservoir wall. What do you think? As long as we both can see each other, we need to signal if either of us is going to shoot. He waved his arm down as if he were starting a drag race. If the army comes, we may have to retreat. I'll just point back along the road. Cross your arms if you disagree. Both thumbs up is an agreement. Then again, that foliage is thick. Sure. Good luck, Patch. Let's get him. Then we'll get to the shore and back home. We'll meet Hernandez at the church, Our Lady of Hope. He patted Mankiewicz's shoulder and trotted to the tree-lined knoll overlooking the reservoir. A wider view of the reservoir spread before him as he climbed up the soft soil. His ribs and healing wounds still ached as he scrambled up the tiny knoll. The trees, like rising columns within the branches, had enough foliage to provide cover. Once at the top, he leaned back against the tree and spread his legs on the hill. He had a clear vantage point of the rock levee to his left. The prodigious sloping concrete dam and spillway bordered the woods far away. He did not see Mankiewicz on the top of the other hill as he scanned the reservoir and resigned himself to waiting. Agua de Pueblo, outside Santa Clara, Cuba, Tuesday, May 2nd, 1961, 4.06 p.m. Patch sat up quickly when he heard the helicopters. Then they appeared in the sky across the reservoir. He counted six of them in the binoculars, but he also noticed movement below at the angle where the stream flowed into the woods. Two military men in uniforms, equipped with rifles, emerged from the woods. They were followed by Carlos Sanchez carrying a fishing pole and a bucket. Patch let the binoculars dangle about his neck. Then he raised his rifle. 
Carlos might escape back into the woods if he missed the extremely long shot. He would have to wait till Carlos and the others approached the reservoir. The helicopter is less than a few miles away, headed directly toward the reservoir. Even if he could shoot Carlos now, the pilots would easily spot Carlos on the ground and the soldiers would fire at him. In the field glasses, Carlos silently joked with his friends. His pug nose tilted upward as he smiled broadly. The lean little soldier to his right poked at his shoulder. Hatch tracked Carlos with his rifle. Instead of coming closer, the three men moved diagonally toward the rocks along the dike. The reservoir emptied in huge water bursts from the concrete dam. The helicopters approached over the lake. The rotor blade noise reached a crescendo above the treetops. Carlos and his men waved from below. Hatch turned with the choppers as the clatter faded across the landscape. Then he settled back against the tree trunk. Back along the dike, Carlos and his buddies had set up a fishing area on the stone dike. The men sat on large rocks as Carlos fiddled with his line. One of the soldiers checked the surrounding area as if he sensed something. Minutes passed as the afternoon shadows crept over the reservoir and Carlos cast out his fishing line. The odds lengthened as he realized logistical problems. He could retreat down the hill and emerge from the thicket. To get to those rocks below would require crossing a swatch of grass, then descend unseen onto the rocks. If he crawled along the rocks, he could get within range to shoot Carlos. He inched forward, sliding down the hill. At the corner of the woods, he paused and lifted the binoculars. Carlos Sanchez, the man who had brutalized so many, casually reeled in the long line. His two friends sat motionless on the oversized rocks. One bearded soldier, cigarette stuck in his mouth, faced Patch. The other man sprawled back in the afternoon sun. Rifles lay between both men. Patch dropped the backpack. He crawled on his belly and held his Russian-issued weapon outward as if he were in basic training. At the road, the sizzling asphalt burned into his elbows and forearms. In less than a half a minute, he finally slithered onto the dirt. He rotated his body around when he reached the rocks and lowered himself in reverse toward the water. Half a mile separated him and Carlos. He would have to get as close as possible before shooting. The breeze ruffled the water, bringing in the freshness of the lazy spring afternoon. With a gentle bump, the little waves rode over the clustered dike rocks that extended almost a mile in the distance. Hatch's heart, an indicator of his surging adrenaline, thumped against his sore ribs. He crawled imperceptibly between the rocks and the water as he searched for his prey. With his rifle now tightly strapped over his left shoulder, he kept his scraped elbows away from the water. He glanced over his shoulder. His stealthy efforts had gained him the yardage of two football fields. On the other direction, Carlos's silhouette, a few thousand feet away in the sunlight, provided a prime target. He rocked forward. The lapping water occasionally stung his arms. Carlos fished from the rocks a mere 1,500 feet away, in a perfect position to be executed on this bucolic afternoon in 1961. One of the other soldiers sat up on the rocks and the other stood. Only seconds later, the standing soldier keeled over. Then a rifle shot cracked across the reservoir. Carlos threw his fishing gear into the reservoir and flipped over onto his belly. The second soldier fell into the water. Carlos scooped up his rifle off the rocks. Patch shot the other soldier in the back, and his body disappeared over the dike's edge. Carlos peered down the dike and then scrambled forward. Patch settled behind a protruding rock and fired. The shot missed, but Carlos unleashed a volley of bullets as he ran. 
sending Patch back on his stomach. Patch soon rose up, hunched over as he advanced over the rocks. With his weapon in his right hand, he leaped two or three rocks at a time. He assumed that Mankiewicz had fired the first series of shots in the additional barrage. When he did not see Carlos, Patch leapfrogged over more rocks to the road. Like an escaped prisoner, Carlos appeared running down the road toward the dam. He still did not see Mankiewicz. Maybe his friend had circled through the woods to cut off Carlos's escape. Patch descended to one knee, checked his clip, and then lined up Carlos in his sights. Three times he fired. He hit Carlos in the leg, but the Cuban regained his footing near the concrete dam. Ray! Ray! He ran across the road toward the woods. Where are you, Ray? Carlos fanned the weapon as he held his left leg and limped toward the dam. Patch threw himself forward. With little time to aim, he unloaded at least a dozen shots at the retreating Carlos. Carlos disappeared along the side of the dam. Patch crab walked to his feet. He checked the woods as he raced toward the dam. How could Mankiewicz have just disappeared? The river twisted into the woods several hundred feet below the top of a towering dam and the powerful culvert flow. He crouched down holding the rifle in his right hand as he ran the length of the dike toward the point where Carlos had disappeared. He lowered himself to the concrete and wiggled his way to the edge. A shadowed stairway led to a faded green door embedded in the edifice. Patch leaped down the stairs, pulled open the door, and aimed his rifle inside the dim passageway. He ducked into the dark corridor maze. He dragged his fingers along the rough, dank wall and sensed an open space, either another corridor or a stairway. Reaching with his hands, he suddenly felt clothing and warm skin. He pivoted on the cement as Carlos's humongous, callous hands enveloped his neck, choking off his air supply. He began shouting in Spanish. Patch swung the rifle, hitting the outline of Carlos's midsection. Carlos wailed as Patch kicked his wounded leg, and the Cuban quickly released his grip. Patch stumbled forward, but heard Carlos scraping his way up the stairs. As Patch clawed his way forward, the corridor lights brightened. Carlos dove down the stairs and faced him. You! You did fire at me in the swamp. The memory of the New York City skyline being incinerated in the 1986 mushroom cloud stuck in Patch's head. He pointed the gun and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. A wide grin overtook Carlos's shaded face. Patch clicked the trigger again. The clip did not advance. Carlos slowly stepped forward, but Patch swung the rifle. Carlos easily blocked the attack with his forearm and the rifle spun across the floor. You're a murderer, Carlos. What did I ever do to you? Why are you trying to kill me? Somebody has paid you as an assassin. This time, Patch dug his fingers into Carlos's stubby skin. He poked at Carlos's eyes and the Cuban staggered back. Patch grabbed his gun. This time he fired the gun, chipping the concrete as Carlos vanished up another stairway. Patch held the rifle and started up the stairs. In the upper corridor, he unloaded the clip as Carlos rounded the corner. Again, Carlos vanished behind the wall. Fresh air flooded through the open doors at the end. Patch squeezed onto a narrow concrete walk overlooking a prodigious spillway as high as a skyscraper and spewing thousands of gallons of water into the culvert below. The walkway ended at the concrete wall support ahead. The upper portion of the dam formed a straight line to the bright sky. A concrete barrier wall with no exit separated him from the gushing water 
roaring into the fluted culvert concrete below. The torrent then emptied into a twisting river between the trees and bushes toward the distant ocean. Carlos, still in the damned shadow, hobbled along the edge. He leaned over the barrier wall. Hatch checked tons of surging water exploding into the concrete canyon. Scaling this wall would mean a certain death. You're my prisoner, Carlos, he yelled over the water's roar. Hatch aimed the rifle in advance with the gun fully extended, but Carlos laughed. You must think I'm a fool. Shut up or I'll kill you where you stand. Oh, you will, will you? He asked over the water's roar as he limped toward Patch. You came here to kill me, you and someone in the woods. Your CIA contact, because I have crosshairs on all your prominent agent and your mafia mercenaries. You're all done. Here's how I figure it, Mr. Kincaid. You would have killed me by now, but you are out of rounds. Patch ran forward, but this time thrust the rifle like a bayonet. Carlos ducked and then steamrolled Patch onto the walkway concrete. Patch grabbed his ankle and Carlos fell forward, but squirmed away and hobbled back toward the stairs. Patch hurtled toward Carlos at full speed. He butted his shoulder into the Cuban, sending him over the wall. With arms outstretched, Carlos had somehow held onto the barrier concrete with his fingers above the precipice. His shoulder throbbing, Patch lifted his dusty boot back up to crush Carlos's fingers. He looked into Carlos's dark eyes, backdropped by the cascading water below. Carlos quickly swung his hand and thrust himself upward with the other. His hand tightened around Patch's boot. Patch lost his footing and tumbled over. His shoulder clipped the concrete and he spun in a free fall above the spillway. Like the water spray at his back, Patch gazed up at the massive dam as he fell, but the downward acceleration loosened his stability in time. He rotated in slow motion as an immense shaded bubble formed around him. He knew the feeling. Retrograde had begun. He lingered above the canyon as Carlos slowly hoisted himself over the wall. The Cuban finally stood on the walkway and raised his arms into the air as he danced in slow motion. The water barely moved out of the ducks and down the spillway below. Suspended in midair, Patch drifted away from the dam. A gray spiral pathway merged from the woods and connected swiftly into Carlos's midsection. Carlos grabbed his stomach and then collapsed onto the wall. His body slipped over the edge and down into the water. For the longest time, he remained inside the slowly gushing water. Because of the time distortion, he finally hit the spillway concrete above the water. His body bounced ever so slowly and then vanished inside the gushing water. Patch hovered over the water inside the shaded bubble. Because of the barrier, he did not sense the mist or noise as he floated toward the woods. Then, like an elastic reaching its maximum point of torque, everything around Patch accelerated like a video on Fast Forward. The water burst out of the dam until it blurred. Night fell for a brief moment and the sun rose over the woods. The flowing water formed like a solid piece of convoluted clear plastic. The days blended into night, forming a dim haze. Structures appeared on the slopes, and they rebuilt the dam in seconds. The elastic effect of time pulled him back to an uncertain future. Chapter 39 
Liberty Park, Jersey City, New Jersey, Friday, August 15th, 2003, 12 o'clock noon. Patch closed his eyes when everything brightened. Fresh grass pressed against his cheeks and scraped arms. The sun warmed his fatigues. Warm, flowery scents filtered through the air. He squinted and sat up slowly. Beyond the benches and the fence, and distant across the water ripples, the Statue of Liberty towered above the balmy harbor. Minkowitz had initially said he would retrograde Patch back to New York City. He struggled to his feet in the warm, breezy air and faced the city. Although relieved to see the Manhattan skyline, the absence of the World Trade Center's twin towers dumbfounded him. Patch just stared at the city for several minutes. No one seemed to care about his presence in the park. Joggers pranced along the asphalt pathways. He crossed the grass and slid onto one of the wood slat benches. The wrought iron light poles extended down the sidewalk bricks like markers in time along the water. And then the breeze kicked up again as he tried to figure out the timeline. He tracked the bikers and joggers across the park. Then he slid off the bench and pawed through the wire rim trash bucket. He found candy wrappers, popcorn boxes, and old sandwiches. The next basket yielded more trash, but he found a New York newspaper down the line. With both hands, he held out the front page. August 15, 2003. His head snapped back to Manhattan. Carlos had not plotted to nuke the city, yet the World Trade Center buildings were not a part of the skyline. Electrical surge darkens northeast U.S. Eight states affected. The eastern U.S. grids are overloaded. Airport closed. Governor George E. Pataki said 600 trains were stranded. Mayor Bloomberg said there was no evidence of any terrorism whatsoever. Retrograde. It overloaded the grid. He stuffed the paper back in the bucket. Minkowitz, as if he had somehow gotten out of Cuba, would be in his 70s by now. Patch walked forward and grabbed the fence's top rail. He panned along the bay to the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. He figured that 17 years after 1986 that it would be simple to find Mankiewicz. Ellis Island, Friday, August 15, 2003, 2.30 p.m. Patch staggered under the upper arch pane windows inside the Ellis Island Center. Millions journeying to the United States of America had walked under the same windows. He leaned against one of the support columns and again wondered about the World Trade Center. Within the mass of tourists, he looked up at the mezzanine. Then he approached a young female guard named Susie, according to the black letters on her gold name tag. He gazed into her blue eyes. Excuse me, I need to use a public telephone to locate an old friend of mine. An immigrant? No, he's probably retired now. He used to work at Barton College. She had a wide smile. You're welcome to use the internet. Well, the internet is a military application. Well, it may have started out that way. There's a computer over there. She motioned him to an alcove with at least a dozen small computers with average people sitting at the terminals. What's your friend's name? Patch looked back from the people and he marveled at the easy access to a classified military secret. Ray Mankiewicz. He'd be over 70 now. She quickly typed in Mankiewicz's name. You said he worked at Barton College? Yeah. Here we go. He retired in 1997. Looks like he moved to Florida. There's a phone number. She wrote the number on a piece of paper. Here you go. Thanks so much. You want me to try him on my cell? 
She pulled out a very thin phone from her uniform pocket. Then she quickly pressed the numbers written on the paper. She handed the lightweight phone to him. Patch stared at the phone and slowly raised it to his ear. The line rang, but Mankiewicz's wife's voice came over the message machine. You've reached Ray and Lynn. Please leave a message at the tone. The tone sounded and Patch cleared his voice. Ray, it's Patch. I arrived back this morning, August 15, 2003. I'm using a mobile phone tour guide named Susie at Ellis Island. Ray, you need to get up here right away. He handed the phone back to her and she closed the case. How long since you've seen your friend? Patch's eyes watered as he looked around the spacious hall. Seems like a lifetime. This may seem like a dumb question, but I'd like to know about the World Trade Center. I can Google it for you. You can what? She bent over the keyboard and typed into a center box on the screen. Never forget, she said. Right, thank you. He sat at the terminal. Images of jetliners hitting each tower and massive explosions were in the photos all over the screen. Billowing smoke rose over New York City just two years ago. People leaped out of the upper windows. He read something about Islamic terrorists fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. He clicked on the video of the president, George W. Bush, speaking through a bullhorn in front of the fallen buildings. pushed the chair across the tile and ran to the harbor window. He focused on the new skyline as tears streamed down his cheeks. My God, what have I done? Ellis Island, Friday, August 15th, 2003, 5.55 p.m. In the late afternoon sun, five huge black vehicles swung around the corner. Patch sat on a concrete pier, his legs dangling over the water as he turned away from the Statue of Liberty. Over a dozen policemen with automatic weapons and bulletproof vests formed a quadrant around him. From the forward car, a white-haired man balding on top stepped onto the pier. Patch recognized Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz waddled forward as if he really did not believe that Patch had returned. Patch, I saw the bright light at the dam so long ago. You were falling and then you were gone. Just happened to me, Ray. Just happened. Mankiewicz looked into his eyes and they embraced. You killed Carlos, didn't you, Ray? Ah, I did. And you made it to the boat. No, Patch. They eventually got me out after the missile crisis. The what? Kay told us what was supposed to have happened and what we did at Sector 13 and the other timeline you once lived in. She contacted me back in 86. I knew it was real. I knew things had changed. 86? Where is she, Ray? She's married. Has three kids. His emotions were numb now as he turned away. The Twin Towers were destroyed in 2001. I had no idea if we influenced what happened on 9-11. I only know the things we caused to change. He looked back at the aged Mankiewicz and followed the lines in his face around his eyes. What did we change, Ray? Mankiewicz's blue eyes filled and his wife steadied him. 
I only know this from what Kay told us. You see, Patch, President Kennedy, he, uh, Mankiewicz began to sob openly and his wife held him. What about President Kennedy? November 22nd, 1963. He was assassinated in Dealey Plaza, Texas, Patch. Mankiewicz choked on his words and clutched his wife. For some reason, the timeline changed. See, there was great turmoil in the 1960s and a horrible war. Listen, we have time to talk about that later. It's a war in Cuba? No, the Vietnam War, said Mankiewicz. Vietnam? See, the troops weren't brought home from Vietnam in 1965 like the other timeline. Listen, Patch, trust in government was gone after the Watergate break-in and Nixon's resignation in 74. Nixon's resignation? What the hell are you talking about? Patch clutched his street lamp. I don't mean to hit you with this all at once, Patch. What have I done? You haven't done anything wrong, Patch. We didn't have enough information to perform time travel experiments. Now let's get the hell out of here. We'll take care of you, Patch. No one's going to take care of me, Ray. Get me back to Sector 13. I want to go to Colorado right now. There is no Sector 13, Patch. That was the other timeline. Minkwood stepped forward and put his hand on Patch's shoulder. We saved the lives of millions in 1986. And wasted the lives of others. It's called reality, Patch. We made our best judgment. Patch peered out over the water at the Liberty Torch. Who are we to judge, Ray? Who are we to judge? today, not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. For I have sworn before you and Almighty God the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now, for man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.